Hi, I'm Esther Yunji Kang. And I'm Susie On. Welcome to Shoes Off, a sexy Asians podcast. We can't do a podcast about Asians and pop culture without talking to the people who literally wrote the book on it. That is right. One year ago, Jeff Yang, Phil Yu, and Philip Wong published Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now. It's like a fun encyclopedia filled with beautiful illustrations, uh, powerful commentary, and intimate interviews with some of the most influential people of Asian America. But the Rise authors are also big deals themselves, too. They're like uh, pioneers of different Asian media. Jeff Yang, he's a journalist and author who's chronicled Asian America through the decades. He started A Magazine, one of the first Asian American national mags in the U.S. Phil Yu is better known as Angry Asian Man, which is also the name of his widely read blog. He recently won a Peabody Award for his contributions to the online discourse about Asian representation in pop culture. And Jeff and Phil have a podcast, They Call Us Bruce, which we're big fans of. We love They Call Us Bruce. Philip Wong is one of the founders of Wong Fu Productions, which helped pave the way for Asian YouTubers and content creators. Wang Fu's dramatic shorts and comedy sketches have been viewed millions of times. And we got a chance to talk to the three of them about the good, the bad, and the sexy of Asians in pop culture and why representation is so important. We hope you enjoy this conversation. That's coming up after the break. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You know, there are so many Asians out there to thirst over, but we wanted to test the general public's knowledge of Asians in pop culture right outside of WBEZ's newsroom, at Navy Pier, Chicago's biggest tourist trap. Who is your favorite Asian celebrity? I don't really know. I feel like, like a stereotypical, but I'd say Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Uh, we saw the movie uh, Parasite, uh, the oh, lead yeah, actor yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, the, yeah, yeah. the father figure in Parasite. I don't even know her name. She plays uh, Christina off of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, looks like folks need some help. <laughs> and we've got just the guests for that. They literally wrote the book on Asian Americans in pop culture. It's called Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now. It made the New York Times bestseller list. Jeff Yang, Phil Yu, and Philip Wong, welcome to Shoes Off, a sexy Asians podcast. Wow, what an intro, yeah. I feel like this is the first time I've actually been associated with the term sexy, honestly, in my life. Take it, take it. Own it, own it. Uh, Your book came out and you all describe it as a 500-page love letter to and for Asian Americans. And we appreciated how from the get-go, you all acknowledge that you're not the only observers of this journey or even the most diverse, right? So you're three guys of East Asian descent and two of you are named Phil. Um, And I have to acknowledge that the two of us hosting this show are Korean. Our producer, Stephanie, also Korean. So definitely not representative here either. But how did you make sure that you were telling as inclusive and holistic a story of Asian America as possible. It was our first conversation, right? Yeah. When the three of us sat down, we were like, okay, I know how this looks, the mm. three of us. Mm. We do come with our own credentials to this conversation, right. but we realize we don't 
even come close to reflecting sort of the the breadth and width of what we're aspiring for in this book. So from the outset, we're looking at this blank canvas and we're like, what goes in this book? What makes up Asian America for the last 30 years? Here's what we want. And we just started throwing ideas, but we also realized like those things also needed to reflect even things that we had no experience in that we, we know are, are big contributions to this conversation. So that's why we roped in a whole you know, army of, of contributors of different backgrounds, different perspectives. Luckily, between the three of us, we do have a, like a pretty impressive mm-hmm. community of folks who we could draw from. Yeah, the book was actually supposed to be shorter and it just kept ballooning as we went on and as we kept yeah. talking, having conversations and we just kept adding, hey, we have to do a piece about this. We have to do a piece about this. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't really that scientific. You know, people ask how we chose and it really was just like, we sat down with a Google Doc. I mean, this was during the pandemic, so we were all on Zoom. This whole thing was basically written via Zoom. And to your point about, you know, wanting to be inclusive and, and be mindful of the diversity, even within the Asian American like diaspora, you know, we looked at this list and we tried to be very mindful and filter ourselves first of like, hey, this is leaning a little bit too much one way or, mm-hmm. or it's overrepresentative in one area. Let's be sure to balance it out. And we edited ourselves kind of like that. And we tried our best. And actually one very early... Um, decision we made too was like what is Asian American in general like at all AAPI right. is a word that gets thrown around a lot yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was something that we had to kind of deal with right at the beginning yeah I mean it was actually the conversation that we had to have even when we were talking about the title is this you know a pop history of Asian America or Asian Pacific America mm. and we, we recognize that when you're looking at the semantics of, of Asian American Pacific Islander Asian Pacific American AAPI there's an assumption there that the journey is the same, that there's a, a commonality of, of our conversations. And the truth is, when we actually talk that way, we overwrite the realities of the indigenous experience right. of Asian, of, of Pacific Americans in this country, for instance. We erase the fact that in many cases, Pacific Islander spaces are places where Asian Americans have also kind of yeah. come in and yeah. settled and become tourists at. Yeah. So we actually brought together a group of, of Pacific Islander scholars and voices to talk about this issue right up front. We wanted to make sure we were not excluding by trying to include, but at the same time that we we're holding space and, and being respectful of the fact that when we talk about things like the journey of immigration, well, not everybody in America is an immigrant. We like to claim it's an immigrant country, right? And so that's something we really have to talk about, not just you know, amongst us as authors, it's something we as a community, as a set of communities have to really talk about. The book is sort of structured in three parts, the 90s, the aughts, and the 2010s. And each of you sort of represent one of those decades and are pioneers, right, of of different media. Did you three together feel like when it comes to chronicling the, the past few decades of Asian America, you were like, you know, we got this, we got this. (laughs) part of the reason why we even chose the three decades, right? Part of it, of course, is simply that's the big hole in the donut of Asian America, Mm -hmm. that journey from invisibility and exclusion and into a place where we are finally being recognized, where we can tell our own stories. It's also a, a period of time in which kind of the first set of generations of people who had to carry the name Asian American started to figure out what it meant to be Asian American and and started to do it in a creative and cultural and and generative fashion. From the 90s onwards, you had the the people who essentially were the kids of of first wave 
post-heart seller immigrants, right? 1965, the world opened up a lot. America uh, threw open the floodgates a little bit to immigration. And our parents, some of our grandparents in some cases, some of us in some cases, all started to come to America in that period. There were Asians before that, obviously, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, Indians, et cetera. But the big wave really came from 65 on. And so by the 90s, you really had people coming out of college in their 20s, in many cases, or coming of age, and being asked throughout their lives and careers to check off this box that says Asian America, mm-hmm. and filling that box with their lived experiences and the things they were creating and, and telling to the world. So that really is the story that we're trying to track here. And the media journey, if you will, you know, starting from magazines to blogs to video, that's actually kind of part of that story. Yeah. There's so much to love in here. Um, Some of the moments that stood out for me were things that were just nostalgic for me. Like, I loved hearing from Tamlin Tamita in here. Um, She was, you know, like the first, like, pretty girl love interest in a movie that I saw. What are you doing? Oh, I was just practicing some moves, see? Well, it's like karate. I'm trying to figure this thing out. And Russell Wong, like, that brought Mm. back memories of when I crushed on him while watching Vanishing Sun. There is no you. There's no me. There's only us. We survived because it's always been us. Which I don't think anyone else really watched. I did. Okay, awesome. <laughs> we did. We did. Yeah, I think there, I did there are not enough fans of that show. So a question to all of you. Who who are the very first sexy Asians for you? <laughs> well, you Ooh, mean Tamlin Tomita. If anybody ever asks, like, who was your first celebrity crush? It was Tamlin Tomita, my Okinawan girl next door <laughs> crush, right? Yeah. Like. Dude, me too. Too. And when I yeah. first met her, I think I told her that and it was really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's super cool. She knows this too. We've said this, I think, uh, on our own podcast. I, you know, the, the funny thing is like, sexy has always been a, a really fraught word for me. I remember like all the time when there are discussions of like Asian stereotypes, you'd be like, oh, you know, we got to stop having only images of Asian men that are nerdy and have glasses and basically uh, spend all their time geeking out. And I'm like, yeah, we should definitely not do that. And then I look in the mirror, I'm like, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I am that stereotype. Um, So, you know, what I'll say is, is, you know, in terms of the first sexy Asian that I kind of remember, it's actually a bit of a lie that that Tamlin is my first celebrity crush. She's my first adult celebrity crush. But as a kid, you know, kids programming, right? So I watched Zoom, right? This PBS show. And there was like the one Asian on the cast, a girl named Bernadette. I'm Bernadette. And same thing, I, I got to college and I actually ran into her and oh, I blurted it out. Super awkward. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Jeff, you gotta stop doing You're that. Such a geek, Jeff. I'm such a stereotype. No, but I think I think what you're saying is true, Jeff. Uh, ultimately, you know what, when it comes to like the stereotypes that we are trying to break or not break or we're afraid of reinforcing, ultimately, like we just we just want to be multifaceted, right? I don't think we're against knowing martial arts. I don't think like that's a huge part of our culture. So I don't think we're against being smart, right? But it's when you're put into a box yeah. uh, and when and when the system is saying, this is all you're going to be good for, all we want to use you for, I think that's where it gets problematic, right? So I understand why we have to kind of like sometimes overcompensate or sometimes try to reject certain things or we have an adverse reaction. Well, Philip, who was your first like 
crush. <laughs> All right, you know what? This is going to be weird, but I think because we had so little representation, I went for an animated character first. Oh no. <laughs> Because that's where that's where we were at. Oh, I, I, when you're putting me when you're putting me on the spot, it's actually like the first thing that I remember is um the cartoon like Batman Beyond. The main character is Batman. His girlfriend was Asian. We should talk. Meet me at Rhinos. Wild Jokers couldn't keep me away. Make sure they don't. I'll be wearing that dress you like. Whoa. Like all right, she's cute. She's. Cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of cool. Like, yeah. Like, okay, that's, that's cartoons. All and voiced yeah. voiced by Lauren Tom, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right? Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, okay, there you go. Okay. So Kelt, I guess okay. I guess Lauren Tom in some sense. <laughs> okay. The we'll, voice of, of Lauren yeah. Tom. <laughs> we will accept that. Girlfriend, yeah, girlfriend. exactly. Well, you know, I feel like that is a great example of like how much Asians in Hollywood had to kind of fight for scraps, fight for like these same types of roles. But even then, when an Asian actor gets a major role or a project, there are what you guys call the the rep sweats. Um, Phil, tell us about representation sweats or rep sweats. Rep sweats is a term that my wife, Joanna Lee, and our friend Jenny Yang, we came up with on the eve of the premiere of Fresh Off the Boat. But we were feeling this like giddiness of like excitement over it, but also... We know this also the feeling of like when we're about to watch something with Asians or when the Asian comes on the screen unexpectedly and we're like, okay, <laughs> please go. be good. <laughs> yeah. Please be good. You know, like represent dude, you know, like, and so it's that feeling of anxiety where you're like, okay, we've been burned before. <laughs> I hope this is good. You know, and that comes from a feeling of scarcity oh, yeah. where yeah. you just don't have a lot. We don't get these moments a lot. And so when they do come along, you're like, there's too much weight on the shoulders yeah, of this yeah. one depiction, you know, right. it's like, that's not fair. And so right. you, you have too much riding on this one. Thing. Yeah. I grew up in Alabama and I remember like, you, you just get the run of the mill uh, movies at the movie theater. And I remember uh, Ninja Assassin came out. They won't stop until you're dead. <laughs> a gun won't help you. Well, I don't have a lot of options, Okay. I mean, I once took a Taibo class, but that is the extent of my Kung Fu abilities, all right? And my, at that time, I had, I had left, but my parents were still living there. And they actually went to go see <laughs> this because, uh, you know, the, the K-pop performer Rain was in Rain. it. Rain. Met, you know, it's been, it's been such a long time since they saw, like, a Korean person uh, on the big screen in Alabama. Actually, they had never seen that before, so that's why they went to go see it. And, I mean, it was sort of like... What are craving, we craving sort of just, you know, that representation from anywhere they mm. can get it. And, you know, I'm sure the rep sweats were going for rain at that time, but who knows? Do do our parents get rep sweats, do you think? Probably not. They're like, <laughs> you don't need to be an actor. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit I, of a different, it's a different rep sweats, though. I mean, I actually really do remember them, you know, rooting ultra hard right. for like Michael Chang, right. you know, yeah. when he runs right. Blink yeah. Jazz or, you know, or, or Christy Yamaguchi, mm-hmm. you know, even Jeremy Lin. Like, oh, yeah. Jer- well, Jeremy Lin too. My, my parents actually, my parents they, they sure. bought t-shirts. They were like, <laughs> you know, shouting and screaming. And I, I think there's, even in, in the elder immigrant generation, there's a real desire to see us present and, uh, and visible in that way. They just don't want their kids to do it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think oh, also man. in that generation, there's also like a resignation. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. like 
I mean, why should we expect anything better? Mm. You know what I mean? In in, yeah. in our representatives, like we're true. you know a lot of a lot of folks feel like like well, this is what I'm always used to seeing. I don't you know like I don't I don't. It's wasted energy to fight for anything more. You know, so it's why there's a little bit of a divide when it comes to that kind of conversation about about representation. After the break, Phil, Philip, and Jeff share their favorite moments of Asians in pop culture. And later, we try to get Phil canceled by making him choose between BTS and Blackpink. Stick around. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I have two major bones to pick with you. Yeah, buckle up. Oh. <laughs> okay, one, sub- one substantive and one not. Actually, no, both are substantive. Okay, so the first one, <laughs> in your section about Asian ethnic enclaves, Chicago's Chinatown is not included. It's one of the only Chinatowns in the U.S. that's, that's still growing. What in the world were you guys thinking? Oh, my God. You know, it... Uh, Jeff? I believe Jeff Yang was on. Yeah, you know, I, I feel bad about that. We, I mean, it's just a mea culpa at that point. I mean, there's so many Chinatowns that we did and try to cover in various ways and Japan towns and Korea towns, et cetera. So right. I think we mentioned that actually the, the Thai community in, yeah. in yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Chicago because the uniqueness of that is. You know, it, it's not a large population, but there are literally like more Thai restaurants per capita in Chicago right. than like anywhere on the, the planet, not in Thailand. Uh, so we should have included uh, Chicago and Chicago's Chinatown. It's a it's a great and vibrant place. And uh, yeah, feel free to drag me next. Okay, time okay. So yeah, I got dragging has not stopped. I got one concession. I just I'm going for the second one here. Where is Dev Patel? Okay, listen, hear me out. You've got Canadians here, and you even have a British person, Naomi Campbell. But where is sexy, sexy Dev Patel? He's in there. He is, I believe, in no. one of the yearbooks. And we definitely mention, obviously, Slumdog Millionaire. Yes, in a there's a mention of, of Slumdog. Yeah. You yeah. cannot, yeah. you got to mention Lion, uh, <laughs> you know, post-Lion Dev Patel. That's when he got really hot. <laughs> yeah. Come on. We definitely, we definitely did not give a shine to the Devito glow up. I think, oh, you know, in oh our minds, God. he's still that skinny kid in Slumdog. So, yeah, yeah, you can drag us for that one too. Okay. I would say. All yeah, right. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this: none of it, none of it was intentional. Like, it's not like we were like we know that we're purposely leaving it out. Let's let's not. Uh, talk we're so about, jealous I mean, like... of muscly Dev Patel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were, yeah, there was no uh, you know convening where we were like uh, yes or no Dev Patel. Okay, and we all were right. Like, Dev Patel, no. <laughs> oh, man, all right. Well, well, since this book's mm, release, mm. I mean, have you been hearing from people like Esther just like mm. shouting at you why certain people or things are not covered in the book? We have a, I have a running list of just things that like, of people have just said like, hey, how come this is not in there? And and these are interactions we fully expected when we we set out to write the book because we were like, we just knew we were going to miss things, you know? And like, there are some things that, that we missed that were like, oh my gosh, like, how did we miss that? You know, like, so what was, that... yeah, what was something like that? It was actually uh, something I just mentioned, which I was like, holy shit, how did I not mention this? this signal like moment of, of reflective self-discovery 
<laughs> on television. And that was this, this commercial from back in like the late seventies, early eighties, which the first time I saw Asian American people speaking fluent English and being married and talking to oh. each other and just being normal. Mm. And it was still kind of racist and stuff. Cause that's how it was. <laughs> but there was this commercial for this detergent called Calgon. You know, it's basically like this couple, they run a laundromat because of course, and uh, somebody comes and says, like, oh, how do you get your clothes so white? Uh, the husband says, ancient Chinese secret. And then the <laughs> oh, wife God. leans out and says, honey, we need more Calgon. And then it's like the, the white customer is like, ancient Chinese secret, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we get the phrase ancient Chinese, Chinese secret. secret. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my sister and I used to joke with that line all the time. Mm. Whenever we didn't know something, it was like, oh. Ancient Chinese. Wait, that's where that commercial is where that, that line is from? Oh. That's the yeah. origin, yes. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. What's another? I can't think of a specific one, but I just know that there's some people that were like, oh, we should have spent more time yeah. like on someone's mention. Like, we mentioned them, but they're like, oh, how come they didn't get their yeah. own piece? Like, right? Dev Patel. And, and on, <laughs> honestly, like, my, my heart breaks when I hear that because, like, on one hand, it's like, yes, everyone in this book deserves to have their own story their own book in some sense like when when we had some of these interviews or some of these pieces these were like three hour long group interviews or yeah. or, or these could have been right. books in, in and of themselves mm-hmm. and we had to you know parse them down to like two pages or a single sentence mentioned for some people and honestly that's not a great feeling but at the same time it's it's a necessary part of this this job that we had to to even get it within under 500 pages but it's funny that if it didn't exist, everyone would have just been like, oh, I, w- I just wish something like this would yeah. exist. Mm-hmm. Now it exists. And now it's like, yep. well, we're going to pick it apart and be like, <laughs> never, never satisfied. Like, I mean, never to be satisfied. fair, there are some really great moments, really great moments in this book. I mean, throughout the book, I, I got a little teary eyed at some moments. Um, I'm not even sure if they were supposed to be emotional moments. I mean, like I think of. Jeremy Lin's journey, I I was like a little middle school basketball player and kind of making that connection and like reading how the different way he and John Wall were compared in their speed tests or like Sandra Oh's interview talking about how she didn't realize that at first that she was being cast as Eve and killing Eve because that role wasn't typically reserved for someone like her. What were parts of the book that that made you emotional or or had you pumping your fist for that person? Ooh, there's so many. There's so many. For me personally, there are two interviews that I was like, I can't believe we're getting to do this. One was getting the Better Look Tomorrow cast all back together. Yes, yes. That one and also MC Jin when he was taking Mm. us through all his his, his BET run, Freestyle Friday run. I'm nice when I'm freeing. You ain't beating me. Matter of fact, I'll be at buffet and you ain't eating me. Don't make me start rapping in Chinese on the microphone. Like final Kayla, that means take your sorry butt home. And I'm so glad that we could, uh, you know, give him this opportunity to Mm. talk about it and now i think he's actually going to be trying to write, write a book himself now so i think it's it's great this is exactly what we want to see like each of these stories that should should be books should actually be books <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean it was really fun to get the daughters from the joy luck club to yeah. bring it back yeah definitely um, the four of them were just like going off together and right. we were we were just like listening in honestly <laughs> the, the whole session started with Someone was like, Ming, uh, oh, show us your um your your new bathroom. And she's like, oh, and she took her computer and showed us her newly renovated bathroom. And she was like, oh, check this out. And we're like, okay. Awesome. <laughs> and then, you know, that's where they reveal like they have a group chat too, where they, you know, they still talk to each other. And and it was just cool to have the perspectives from the folks who were there. These yeah. these moments that we feel like were important. 
but maybe sometimes like some people haven't been asked about like hey like looking back all these years later like you realize like what mm. an impact that had I want to shout out, though, not all of our conversations or focus has been on celebrities or even necessarily on stuff that's like up on screen. Right. Uh, actually, one of the the things which I thought was most funny and cool and, and eye opening to me was this piece we did where we talked to Hiba Ansari, who's a mm. journalist in, in the Midwest in Wisconsin, and she's South Asian, talking about her childhood history as a spelling bee champ and how the expectations yep, of, of being a, a, a champion speller was very much like the uh, ways that people thought about sports in other families and why in some ways South Asian just complete dominance of spelling bees came about and why it still re- remains so popular today. That's the kind of thing where it's like a look inside our world's and, you know, on that note, uh, we have these things in the book, which is still to this day, the thing I thank our publishers most for allowing us to do, which is we have these fold out four page spreads mm. that we call spaces, mm-hmm. which are literally just the places where we live yeah. as Asian Americans, the Asian grocery, the Asian American home, boba cafes, and, you know, a night out of K-Town and, you know, college cultural festivals and stuff like that. And we annotate all of them with just the things you might run into, tongue in cheek, mm. all the things that if you're Asian American, you probably encountered this. And if you're non-Asian American, well, welcome to our world. <laughs> you know, come come inside. <laughs> Take off your shoes. <laughs> so, you know, looking ahead, the book is dedicated to the ones who come next. What do you hope for, you know, that these young'uns will achieve in the coming <laughs> years? Who are you looking out for? You know, all of us have kids, for one. So there's there's a very specific next generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Philip had his kid literally as we were having Yay, this congrats. book published, right? So, <laughs> so we, we, we've seen the next generation, how different they are from us in a lot of ways. There, there's a very different attitude towards being comfortable in your own mm-hmm. skin, uh, in, in expecting that you can take up space, yeah. right? So that's one thing. We also know that we're leaving a, a pretty crappy world to them in a lot of ways. And where being Asian Americans is concerned, we've got some momentum in some places, but we also see how quickly things can turn from, hey, everybody, congratulations, Asian August, to yeah. why don't you take your bat-eating selves back to Wuhan, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you oriental vermin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is just in a period of months slash years, yeah. something that can cycle around. Phil, Philip, you can obviously feel free to weigh in here. Who are you rooting for? Who are you looking out for? That's that's hard for me to say, like, because honestly, like, everyone's doing so many things. I I, I know Mm. this is a cop out, but like, (laughs) I think one thing that I've learned, especially through Wong Fu, is that, man, we're in such an exciting time where there is a lot more opportunity now for Asian Americans, not just in mainstream projects, but people making paths for themselves. You know, like when we were doing Wong Fu, like, I think a lot of people gravitated towards us because we kind of just took things in our own hands and, and created our channel. But now like anyone and everyone can be doing it on TikTok, on, on Twitch. Um, there's so many people that even I can't keep up with anymore, but some of these people have like millions of followers. And, and I think that's so exciting that that barrier has been broken and it's, it's, it's and it's almost like normalized, right? I mm-hmm. think like, we're not surprised to know that, oh yeah, Asians can be seen on big screens and also small screens. Whereas when, when, you know, Wong Fu was starting, it was like kind of like this novelty thing. And then also just in terms of like on the mainstream side, Man, we've worked with so many actors that are now Marvel superheroes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like when Simu, when we first met Simu, he was he only did that first season on Kim's Convenience mm-hmm. in Canada, and I couldn't even watch it because it wasn't even out on Netflix yet. Mm-hmm. And 
he was just so excited to work with Wong Fu and and I could have never imagined, you know, just the, the opportunities that would that would shift to turn him into our latest Marvel superhero. Another one like Justin Min, who's on Umbrella Academy. He was he was in one of our short films that was about a garbage can. Like it was a gar- <laughs> it was essentially a garbage it was a garbage can commercial for a simple human. So um, that's what I've learned. You just can never predict mm-hmm. where it's going to happen. And I'm just happy that more and more people are, are taking that mm-hmm. chance and going for it. This is, this answer is also a cop out, but like the the thing is like those who come next. The exciting thing is we don't know who that yeah. is, and but we can say with full confidence that they're coming, that they're next, and they're coming. We might not have been able to say that very confidently even 20 years ago yeah. where, mm. you know, when I first started my blog, like there were like seven Asians on primetime right. scripted television, right. seven. And now there's too many in the name and you don't know who else is coming. And so that's what's exciting. We don't know, but we know it is happening. That's yeah. awesome. All right, guys, before we let you go, let's play a game we'll call Extra Credit, where we ask you random questions about Asian things. Can we do that? Yeah. Uh, okay, Philip, what's the craziest Asian superstition you grew up believing? Definitely like a like the rice grain thing. For me, it was like about pimples. Oh. Um, like if you didn't finish all your rice, that you would have like really <laughs> bad skin. That's the first one that kind of comes to mind. Everything's related to, to rice for some, for some reason. There was another thing where... I would always drop rice like as I was eating and so my parents would say oh you must have like a hole on the bottom of your mouth and anyways that was just like a joke that they, they said that's creepy as hell <laughs> uh, Jeff what's something your parents kind of nagged you about and you bug your kids about now <laughs> um, they always thought that Basically, there are like three things that cure everything, right? Uh, one is tiger balm. Yes. Uh, the the other is salty water, hot salty water if you gargle it. Yeah. And the third oh, yes, is yeah. <laughs> the third is sleep, right? And I never wanted to sleep. I, I would stay up in bed reading comic books under the covers, but I was like, oh, who needs it? It's like, oh, you will not grow tall unless you sleep. And you know, I ended up five seven. And <laughs> Meanwhile, my son doesn't ever want to sleep, but he's like six foot three, so whatever. Uh, Phil, you can only pick one, BTS or Blackpink. Uh, I'm going to go with BTS because they're... And they're now you just got canceled yeah. by all the blinks. I know. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. You made me pick one, okay? I'll, yeah. No, I'll take, I'll take some responsibility. Look, look when, when BTS performed on Saturday Night Live, that's when I got a text from my sisters, and she was like... Mom wants to know what time Saturday Night Live is. <laughs> like, that's how you know, like, dude, BTS is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We've been talking with Jeff Yang, Philip Yu, and Philip Wong, authors of Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now. Thanks so much for your time and congrats again. Thanks, Thank you guys. so much. All right, Woo! thank you. As we chronicle the many people who make up sexy Asian America, we want to hear from you. And to be clear, we're talking about a wide interpretation of sexy. Here's what some of you have shared with us so far. This is Kate from Manhattan Beach, California. Hello, this is Tiffany from Chicago. I am loving your podcast and you have to have John Cho on. Like a lot of people, I think I didn't recognize until Selfie how smoking hot he is. And he's wonderful and everything, and I would just love to hear him on your show. I would like to suggest Michelle Zauner, a.k.a. Japanese Breakfast. She wrote a memoir, and she's part of an awesome band, and she has really interesting things to say about being biracial. So who's a sexy Asian we should have on the show next, and why? Record yourself. Email us a voice memo, although we welcome regular emails, at shoesoff at wbez.org. 
We want all the tips. Shoes Off is a production of WBEZ Chicago. This episode was produced by Esther Yoonji King, Stephanie Kim, and me, Susie Ahn. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizek. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. And leave us a five-star rating. It'll help us reach more people and bring you more conversations with sexy Asians. We'll see you next time. Stay sexy. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.